0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Hardware Podcast. My name is Jackson Denner, alongside my good friend Omar Borja. Omar, today, um, it's hard to believe that we are wrapping up the college football regular season, man. Only two more weeks left. We're heading in, obviously, to week 12. And really got this traditional cupcake week that isn't half bad honestly better than it has been in years past and then we've got the Thanksgiving games and then we're looking at conference championships but first and foremost man how are you doing today uh looking forward to the XFL draft pretty soon
1: oh uh, yeah um so the XFL quarterback draft I am very saddened that Luis Perez is no longer New Jersey general but the generals keep marching on they're, they're gonna keep marching on without Luis Perez even though he's my favorite quarterback in all of pro sports, I've, I'm one of the probably one of the, at least under 100 owners of a Luis Perez jersey, um, Birmingham Iron. But you know, uh, I, I'm glad to see some young talent out here. Like a lot of guys that I that I saw, like or at least at least two quarterbacks that I watched in the tropical, in the Spiral Tropical Bowl last year, making the XFL. Anthony Russo, who led Temple to some bowl appearances, or two to two straight or. Was it three to three straight bowl appearances in from 2017 and 2019? Drew Plitt, one of one of my favorites, you know, uh Arizona Bowl MVP, even had a punt in that game too back in 2020. I mean, so just a lot of talent, um, a lot of good quarterback talent so far. And we'll see who else signs up. There is an army, there's an army punter, Zach Harding, Harding, that is in the XFL draft pool. So wherever he lands, I'll likely be a fan. So um, but yeah, otherwise doing great um season the season's winding down you mentioned final two weeks for fbs fcs this is the final week before the i mean the bracket gets announced so you know a lot there's a lot of scenarios that need to play out which i'll detail in the the games to watch but just an exciting week just reading through all these scenarios and what has to happen so i'm excited
0: in the future when we do see an FBS level college football playoff expansion, do you think we will be sacrificing any of our regular season? Do you think it's going to be the conference championships that are at stake or neither are we heading more towards a 16-17 game NFL season?
1: Um, I don't think I, I don't think we'll sacrifice any regular season games. Honestly, I think I think we're heading more towards an expanded regular season. Excuse me. Um, And of course, the schools that will probably struggle with this the most are Army and Navy. Um, So we'll figure out what happens to Army and Navy after after um, the playoff expands. But, yeah, I I don't think they're going to take any any games away from the regular season because how lucrative it is for a lot of schools and not just power fives, but more so group of five schools and um, FCS schools that need the paycheck games to, you know, fund other sports.
0: Omar, something that you are probably more well-versed on than I am, but I just came to realize earlier this week that Army Navy is of much more than just historical or sentimental significance. Like this is like we've seen it where the college football playoff committee was actually willing to postpone their final meetings until the conclusion of Army Navy. Something that I didn't realize whenever I forget what year it was where um there were. Some talkings about Navy going to the, the New Year's Six Bowl uh, or to a New Year's Six Bowl and representing the, the group of five. So that was something that I didn't realize was possible and something I learned earlier this week um, and something that I, like I said, just didn't know.
1: Yeah, 2016 was that year. But yeah, I mean, uh, so we'll see what goes from there, especially with, with uh, you know, with a lot more parity in the group of five and in the American for Navy. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. But um, all F- this
0: like hype around like Tulane SMU that we were hyping up like in September, all of this just for him to end up being UCF, who is like, I hate to use this word, but maybe the most unappreciative of all the group of five schools of representing that. So kind of a shame,
1: but it happens to speak too soon, though, because, I mean, um, Tulane can still clinch a spot in the, in the American title game if they beat Cincinnati Well, if they I would out. love
0: to see. I would love to see Pratt. Out there, man, we've been hyping that that man up for a long time. So, would love to see Michael Pratt represent. Absolutely. Well, we'll go ahead and go into our HBCU Pigskin Showdown player of the week to watch. Omar, I'll go ahead and let you go first. Um, I do want to clarify though, as we're seeing a lot of these invites for pretty much all the All Star games, right? You see it for the Hula Bowl, for the Senior Bowl, the HBCU Pigskin Showdown. Um, we're getting these invites. We want to go ahead and start uh, talking about some of these guys that we know are going to be playing, right? We're not going to be like, well, we'd really love to see, like, Coach Williams and Coach Grover and Vina No, he's already going to Selma. He's already going out there to Alabama um, and going to get to see him play for sure. So, Omar, I'll let, I'll let you go ahead and go with your first ever confirmed Pink skin Showdown Player of the Week to watch.
1: Yeah, so I'm going to go with a school that has not gotten a lot of a uh, spotlight in the SWAC. Um, I'm going to go with Ja'Cory Rankin from Mississippi Valley State. And, of course, it's been a rough go for Mississippi Valley State this year. Uh, they recently won their first game against Alabama, a- Alabama A&M on national TV on Thursday Night, nonetheless. A little I mean, A little bit sweet there, but Ja'Cory Rankin's an, a, a 5'9", 180 receiver, Juco product, he only has 27 catches on the year, but he has five touchdowns. So, you know, very much a big play type of guy. The year before, he had 682 receiving yards and had a long catch of 93 yards. This is a guy, of course, with the size. You can see returning kicks. Uh He's returned 13 kicks in his career for 199 yards. And I want to give a spotlight to guys like this. Like This is what all-star games are all about, uh, especially the ones before Christmas time, you know, because – um, back in the day, the blue gray classic, one of, one of our favorite things to talk about on this podcast, uh, gave a lot of, a lot of, small school players and, and players that missed out on bowl players are on teams that missed out on bowl games, excuse me, gave them a chance to shine for the national TV. And so here we are, we have a guy that's like your a guy like your Rankin, Rankin, uh, for a lot of these schools that either a, their schools missed the, the D- division two playoffs. If they're part of the CAC or the CIAA, or they missed out of the celebration bowl. If they're part of the SWAC and the MEAC. So Ja'Core Rankin here on, on a team that has, I think one, one win still. Yeah. On a one in nine team. Uh, likely to be one in 10 against uh, Prairie View on a one in 10 team to give his school some spotlight, get a couple catches, maybe return some kicks in front of national TV on the first Saturday of bowl season. So, Jacore Rankin, 5'9, 180 guy, playmaker, could see him returning kicks in the pros. Um, but, I mean, again, he hasn't done it much in his career, but hopefully he gets a, a heavy dose in the preseason or in the XFL or USFL, whichever league he ends up in.
0: Oh, more, that's something that we talk about all the time is the the genuine need for these guys to be able to contribute on special teams, because that's a, the way that they're going to make these NFL 53 men rosters, right, is you, you have to play special teams unless you're really a star on the team or it's, It's otherwise, I don't want to say negotiated on the contract, but there probably is not going to be like any sort of incentive thrown in there. Like a lot of contracts do have for special team snaps. So um, yeah, absolutely, man. Would love to see him develop in that area. I like to think that that's what some programs are not known for by any means, but they do a good job of making sure that, Even their playmakers that might not have a guaranteed shot in the NFL, like they they play special teams. You think of like Notre Dame and teams like that, right, where you see that a lot. So would love to see him get more involved and obviously keep doing his thing in his own position. I'm going to go ahead and go with my HBCU Pigskin Showdown Player of the Week to watch, Isaiah Cox, the wide receiver from Alabama AM, a transfer from Ohio, Ohio. So if you recognize the name and you watch a lot of Maction, that might be why. Just a straight speedster, man. Um, when, uh, when at Ohio, he had this one touchdown that I was watching on this past week where he was, he was in the slot. He was the slot receiver, right? It was a fake screen against cover one, and the corner bit and man he just outran him and the the lone safety at the top it was oh my gosh it was it was beautiful to watch um Isaiah also played running back and defensive back in high school so he hasn't exclusively been a receiver and you can really see that that comfortability and former running back in him, especially on special teams. He had a kickoff return for 65 yards just a couple of days ago against Jackson State. Man, he's comfortable in space. You will also see that when they do involve him in the run game on some of these jet sweeps. It's, it's shocking just the ease that he can do that in maneuver. Um When he's really best at wide receiver, it's on like deep routes and double moves. I would love to see him on like an offense like Kansas City or just any scheme that really empowers his athleticism. Under the right tutorship and in a fitting scheme, I think he can really be a weapon at the next level, man. I would love to see him just show out at the HBCU Big Skin Showdown like I know he will, get noticed by some scouts, get noticed on the NBC Sports Network, right? And get a shot at that next level.
1: Um I and mean, the thing with Alabama AM, I mean, they've produced a lot of receivers the past couple of years. I know, um, shoot, I think it's uh there's a receiver last year in the USFL, I think, uh, on the on the breakers. I'll have to look, I'll have to look up the stats really or look them up really quick. But um Conell Maynor and that offense out in Alabama A&M, Connell Maynor, you know, a former former pro quarterback. I believe he was a former arena football quarterback. So you know he loves to sling the ball around. Uh last year, Quill Glass came from came from Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, so it's just a great program that's that's producing a lot of talent out wide and Isaiah Cox continues that and it's just good to see Um, as for the receiver last year that ended up getting some time last year in the USFL that receiver was my phone would load let's see that receiver was these of course it's slow right here D Anderson yeah D Anderson last year, um, uh, also a former HBCU Pigskin showdown uh, alum. So he last year he had 12 touchdowns in 33 catches and then he got an extended look with the New Orleans Breakers in the USFL. And then even last year too, um Abdul Fatah Ibrahim, 67 catches hundred or one thousand eight yards. so again, and Xavier Moore, another HBCU picks can show down alum too with 381 cat or catches last year or 381 yards. So a lot of talent um, that Alabama is putting out a receiver in. Uh, you know, just it's worth it's really worth a look out there down in Huntsville. They they got a great program out there.
0: Absolutely, man. Anytime that you can find a school that it consistently develops talent in a certain position. Of course it speaks to their recruiting level, right? But it also speaks to the development program that they have in place for that position group in particular. So love seeing that at Alabama a and Omar, no shame. If you don't know it, do you know off the top of your head like anything about Alabama a like wide receiver coach or just who it is in general? I'm looking it up as we speak. That's something I should have looked up before probably, but. um,
1: I do not at all. Um, but I do know, yeah, that Connell Manor, it's kind of interesting too. you see like a lot of these coaches that have like sort of playing experience in, you know, the arena football league and leagues like to pass the ball a lot. Like, yeah, like Connell Manor, excuse me, condo Manor did play for, uh, looks like nine years. Well, actually 10 plus, yeah, 10 years in the arena football league guys like that that love to sling the ball around. So, um, I can imagine it would be one of his teammates in arena football. Um, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'm
0: trying to look at it. I don't I don't see anything on here. Could be missing. Assistant head coach. And eh, I don't see it, man. Trying to find it. But yeah. Um, anyway, sorry, we got way off topic. But no, that's that's awesome to see. I know anytime, like I said, you can find a program like that. That's That's always good news, especially for the HBCUs that don't don't always get the love, right, that they they need. So that's awesome to see. We'll go ahead and go into our main portion talking about college football awards, what we started on, right? This week, we're going to be talking about the Doak Walker Award, which goes to the best running back in the nation. Omar, I will say it is unusual this late in the season, from my understanding, that we don't have a semifinalist list officially from the Doak Walker Award. So we're kind of going to be playing it by ear a little bit. I think we're going to go with our top three guys. Um, I would be shocked if one of these guys was left off of that semifinalist list, but it is something that we'll talk a little bit about that discussion, probably throw in a couple group of five guys that we like that should be included and kind of move on from there. But Omar, uh, we'll go ahead and go. Who is If the Doak Walker award was up to you, who would be in third place today?
1: So third place for me would be Mo Ibrahim uh, from Minnesota mm-hmm. and his numbers aren't the best. Keep in mind, he missed a game, but Mo Ibrahim has rushed for a hundred yards in every single game that he's played on uh, against Minnesota. That includes some games where Minnesota lost by multiple scores. So you look at a guy that really is the heart and soul of that offense. I mean, uh, and this is a guy that's been overshadowed throughout his career. Um, he's been in a shared backfield with Rodney Smith early in his career. Then in 2019, Rashad Bateman really showed himself on the national stage, being a great deep threat. Um, for Tyler Minnesota's Johnson
0: ski. a few years ago, by yeah, Tyler
1: Johnson as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You 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 just like you're you're making the point like even even better. Like uh, he's been overshadowed. Like this year, he really is the guy. He's the the main weapon on this offense. And all all due respect to Tanner Morgan, uh, but he's not having as great a year as we know he can have. So. Uh, I got Mo Ibrahim at number at number three. And again, 100 yards every single game. Uh, and if you think about Minnesota, they love throwing the ball. That's that's what PJ Fleck loves to do. Ever since his days at Western Michigan, they've had great backs uh this year. He's got 1261 yards in nine games. Um a guy for me that just misses the misses cut, so two guys for me that just missed the cut are Dwayne McBride and Brad Roberts. So Dwayne McBride is the second leading rusher in the country, and he's only played nine games. Uh, he has four hundred seven yards. He sat out of the, uh, the Alabama A&M game in the first game of the year, um, has 17 touchdowns. It's just insane to imagine like, how much better stats would be if he played in that paycheck game. Uh, and you just look at UAB, the great running backs they've had before. Whether it be Jordan Howard before the program shut down temporarily, and then you have Spencer Brown, a guy who's under the radar for UAB for much of his career, great backs there. Then and then for for Air Force, Brad Roberts, you know, for what he's doing as a fullback, averaging 124 yards per game and having 1200 1241 yards and 13 touchdowns for Air Force, it it deserves a look and it deserves more than the the Loman Trophy for uh, for fullbacks. But I mean, he's he's just he's as good, honestly, as any back as any. Uh, as any back in the country as any running back in the country i think that he could thrive in any any good inside run scheme whether it be michigan's offense whether it be iowa's offense or illinois's offense i think he could thrive in there even though he's he's, he's a fullback
0: absolutely man no i i love that and i I agree that um, Minnesota – I love that you say that he's, his stats are the best, man. He's like a top-five rusher in the country, at least in rushing yards. So it's just like – speaks to that. And also he has like a touchdown in every single game. So it's it's hard to say that, oh, his stats aren't up there. Like that's just – that's not his selling point, which speaks even more of, of where he is on that. So, no, that I love that. that that's awesome to see. And I love that you're uh, giving some love to a power five guy, man. It's not always the – I was, I was expecting that kid from Air Force to be number three for you. So love seeing that. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, hey, I'll go ahead and go. If it were up to me, my third guy today, man, I have to go with Chase Brown. Um, love Chase. Initially, I had him at two. You kind of talked me out of that. We'll go ahead and I'll talk about that a little bit more in just a minute. But, um, uh, man, Chase Brown, he has – he was having a hundred yard game in every single game up until the Purdue game last year, which kind of makes you think, right? Maybe they wouldn't have lost to Purdue if they kind of stick to the run game a little bit more, doesn't really have the touchdowns, at least stat wise only seven on the year. Right. One thing that I'm, I'm not well adversed in Illinois offense, but typically what that tells me is like, man, they're probably, like, using him a lot in the beginning and then, like, setting up the play-action pass with that, right, which is just, like, a critical part of any offense that is run-based. That's how you're going to get explosiveness when – your quarterback isn't, isn't necessarily up there when you don't have CJ Stroud at quarterback, that's how you're going to compete. Right. So um, love seeing that Omar, what do I always say? If you can't catch, if you can't play has at least a reception in every game this year and three more uh, receiving touchdowns on the year. So including one 50 yard game against Minnesota. So love seeing that from a running back It's becoming more and more critical as we're seeing this, uh, these trends in the NFL. So, man, have to go with Chase Brown as my number three.
1: So, Chase Brown was probably, I guess, a lot of people's, you know, kind of sleeper favorite midway through the year before Illinois sort of went on their side. But I, I just think that's the Brett Bielema effect. Like, I think I, – I'm going to go it on a limb and say, like, I, I think Illinois in the next few years will have a Doak Walker Award winner with the way that, that offense is because you think about it, it's it's pretty much the same scheme that, you know, produced Monte Ball, Melvin Gordon well shoot Melvin I mean by that time already uh Brett Bielen was head coach at Arkansas but the principles lasted so um uh, yeah Chase Brown was having a great year and I'm surprised to see like him being such a prolific pass catcher given that offense um but yeah like I mean I mean, if it weren't for the slide, honestly, he would be number two on a lot of people's lists, uh, if not, if not winning, honestly. And this weekend with Illinois versus Michigan, that would be a game that would probably decide the Doak Walker. But at this point, I feel like it's already decided with my number one guy, uh, pending like pending, I guess, adverse events. So um,
0: I I do want to say, obviously, he was helped off the field with that leg injury in the I believe the final minute against Purdue, right? So that is something that will be. Uh, 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 his status is TBD, I believe, as we're recording this late Tuesday. So I'm not completely sure, but that would be my guess. So hopefully he's back down there. Hopefully he can get back up to the to the top, but um something to keep an eye on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh so yeah, like for my number two guy, then it, it is Chase Brown for for that matter. Um, I think you hit everything, Jackson. Honestly. Um again, like next this weekend's game against Michigan would have been sort of like that dope walker face off. Like you, I mean, we kind of, it's so rare in these days that we get a face off between two great running backs. I kind of look at the 2013 independence bowl where you had uh, Andre Williams, you know a Heisman finalist in 2013 and they had Kadeem Carey and all, all the other all-American running back going against each other I feel like that was sort of the end of an era where we don't really get these matches we're like we're always talking about oh these two quarterbacks are going to play each other like this is a great quarterback matchup a great quarterback duel we never really have running back duels and we'll have that hopefully Chase Brown plays <clears throat> hopefully Chase Brown plays excuse me but uh But again, like this, like this Saturday, if Chase Brown plays and Blake Quorum plays, then, you know, it's kind of a throwback to a different era when like you would look at, hey, like these two running backs are playing. And like, this is something, this is just something to mark on the calendar.
0: Absolutely, man. No, I will go ahead and go with, uh, I I think it's going to be kind of funny how this ends up working out of where my number three guy was your number two. My number two guy, Blake Quorum, the running back from Michigan um, my only complaint with him and this is something that is completely out of his control is just ge- excuse me generally that he's undersized right he's 5'8 200 again completely out of his control and but the thing i love about him of him being undersized is that he's not strictly a speedster and he's not strictly a power back, right? Like he's got a really fine balance of the two where he combines those and use them to his advantage. And it just just makes it where it's fun to watch, right? And that's already a very good offense, um, so it's, it man, but Blake's a lot of fun to watch. If you haven't watched him already, go ahead and take some time out of your Saturday to, to watch Michigan. And obviously I'm sure we'll all see him against Ohio state, which is going to be the true, the truest test for him all year. So yeah, I don't, I don't have much to say, Omar. I'll let you take the lead on that. As I believe Blake is your number one guy. Am I correct?
1: Yes. I have Blake Corman winning the Doak Walker award because I mean, his stats aren't better than Chase Brown's but Blake Corm is the only running back that's in the heisman talk right now. Uh I mean, especially because Michigan's doing great this year. Um they're they're undefeated right now. They have Illinois. They should ha- they should head into the Ohio State game as a I mean, as an 11-0 team. This year I mean, Corm's got over 1300 yards already. They're starting to feed him more. If you look at his signature performance in my opinion, he kind of has like that signature performance in front of the country. Where you had i mean thirty three carries one hundred and seventy seven yards against Michigan State, other great performances included two hundred forty three yards against Maryland. He's had a hundred yards in one, two, three, four, five six, seven straight games. Uh, Blake corn pretty much is the centerpiece of the of the Michigan offense. and if he and to be to be honest, if he has a game if he has a game like he or wasn't him last year. It was Chris Evans at the great game. But if he has a game where he carries Michigan, the, the Michigan offense on their back, which they're going to want to keep uh, CJ Stroud and that offense off the field, they're going to want to run the ball a ton. And Ohio State knows that. But Ohio State kind of, I guess the, the the perception is Ohio State struggles with physicality. We'll see. But if they do struggle with physicality and Blake Corum does end up having a career game, then honestly, Doak Walker is not the ceiling. It, it's the Heisman, I think. Uh, so Blake Horm, though, I mean, honestly, you just, he's just kind of a throwback, like a throwback to like, you know, great Michigan backs of old, of, you know, of old, like whether it be Ron Johnson in the sixties, Rob Little in the seventies, um, you know Leroy Horde. yeah, Leroy Horde in the in the '80s. Uh, this back it's got to be back in the '90s. I can name, but you know he's just a throwback to like a great Michigan back, and I and I feel like that'll just you know conjure up great feelings within the people who've over this war. Writers like you see the way I'm talking about Blake Horn. That's probably the way that a lot of the writers that have for this war are talking about Blake Horn.
0: Absolutely, man. No, I wanted. I wanted to give you the majority of talking time about Blake because I know you. You like I referred to earlier. You had to kind of talk me into him putting or me putting him as my number two guy over, over chase. So an all love for chase Brown, but um, man, no, Blake Horm is, is very impressive to watch. Obviously that's why he's your number one guy. I'm going to go ahead and go with, I'm going to cheat a little bit, Omar. My first two were kind of what I expect the results to be with a, a little bit of input of, of who I like and more my own takes on them. Uh, but I'm going to go just strictly of, uh, of what I who I think will win on this, right? I don't necessarily think he is the best, although I think he is the most surefire thing at the next level. I'm gonna go with B. John Robinson, man. Um, probably the most valued back from an NFL standpoint. Um it, it's he just has everything you need, man. As we're seeing these offenses transition to more two high shell, more too high shell than ever before. One stat that really pops out to me, he has the second most like forced miss tackles. That combined with the fact that he can he can catch, like he is excellent out of the backfield. He's not bass and pass pro either. Like he's really, I remember seeing in the offseason, like really worked extensively on his pass protection and his his blocking skills. And that's really something that you've seen. Um, so I'm I'm gonna go with B. John Robinson. I I I wouldn't be shocked to see him win it at all, because I think it's just a love affair with, with Texas. I mean, this is the guy that has like the Lamborghini and IL deal. Like this is the guy that has like all, all of the love from a running back standpoint. And there are better stories. I think better running backs for the college level specifically. And I, I just think people, people love Bijan man.
1: Bijan Robinson's great, but where was he at TCU last week? That's my only thing like Bijan Robinson ran for 29 yards and 12 carries against TCU. Uh, if Blake Corum even crosses the century mark against Ohio State, then Omar, he's got to be. What?
0: How's the correlation, though, for you? Do you think Texas lost because they didn't use B. John Robinson enough? Or do you think they didn't use B.J. Robinson enough because they lost? Like, which one do you think more contributes to it?
1: Um. I mean, in essence, I think that's a classic, you know, when Peyton Manning was out for the year, it's like Peyton Manning should win MVP because he's not playing. It's not it's not the best running back that we did not give the ball to. It's the best running back in the country because we gave him the ball, you know, and that's just my thing. It's like even then it's it's not it's not like it's not like Texas didn't give him the ball. He had 12 carries. Uh, yeah, but he, he had twenty nine yards. He had t- he had twelve carries for twenty nine yards. And if you take away his long run of nine yards, he had eleven carries for twenty yards. He averaged less than two yards a carry. For but also
0: when you're loading up like eight guys in the box because that's their best guy on offense, and and whenevers Evers didn't even complete a pass until the second quarter. That that helps too, right?
1: It also helps too. But again, like he also like I mean, you mentioned loading the box, but Robinson didn't catch a pass either. So. That's just my thoughts too. I feel like I feel like again, like you you think you think these teams like these teams are loading the box against Michigan. Like they, they got to be loading the box against Michigan. Michigan's averaging less than two hundred yards per game passing. Um, I mean I think they're averaging less than two hundred yards per game passing, but I'm gonna check that really quick. Yeah, Michigan's averaging at the moment just a shade over two hundred yards per game passing. Right, so you think they're loading the box to stop Blake Horn? Like I, I, you think that, that that they would? But I mean they're. You know, Blake Horm, still, he still finds a way to get over 1,349 yards, you know, and it's like, it's, it's, I kind of, I kind of wondered too. It's like, I feel like that's more so, um, not so much them loading the box, not so much TC loading the box. Like, I mean, like, you don't think Kansas was, Kansas State was loading the box against B. John Robinson when he ran for, uh, for 30 yards, for, I guess, for 240 yards. But again, like, external factors, you're right. You know, Quinn Ewers not completing a pass in the second quarter does, you know, it does hurt performance, but, I just I just look at like what a like what have you done in big games you know and Blake Corn's performance against against Ohio State and in the Big Ten title game should be enough for him to if he performs very well should be enough for him to get the award in comparison to Bijan Robinson.
0: I I agree with you, man. I'm just saying I think we give these voters too much credit. Sometimes, right? They need they do need to to watch. Watch the film from a college perspective because and I, I'm guilty of this where I tend to watch it from an NFL perspective. Uh, it's not something that's not what this award is being like voted on, right? Of who projects the best at the next level. Like this is about like who's the best for their team and the best for that. That's the beauty of college football, is there's a there's a million different ways to win, right? So. Um, so that that's my opinion. I hope I'm wrong on that. All love for Bijan. Like I said, I think he is the most surefire thing at the next level. Uh, I would definitely take him over Blake Corum if I was making a pick in the draft, um, but not necessarily for for a college football awards purposes. So um, we'll go ahead and go into our our last part of the program, going over our games of the week to watch. Omar again, hard to believe that we're going into the next to last week. I was telling a buddy of mine today, like, man, all year we've been talking about on the pod, like, we're going to find out who these teams are in this game. We know who these teams are. Now we can just kind of like to a degree, sit back and enjoy and get some popcorn and watch the drama unfold.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I agree. It's like now it's just kind of at least from an FBS perspective and FCS, you know, filling that bracket. If you're in the if you're in the FCS, like who's going to get the seeds and, you know, filling out those bowl projections. So again, like it, it's November there's no madness wondering.
0: time. Everyone's exactly. filling out the
1: brackets. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's a great time. You know, I've been doing a lot of sitting relaxing lately. Um, yeah, I just I want to say, like, you know, hardware was live at Notre Dame Navy last, uh, you know, last week but I got to say what, what a game. That's probably the best Notre Dame Navy game of my lifetime. The best one since uh, 2014, at least, but, uh, commend, commend the midshipmen on their on their performance against Notre Dame. Pro- honestly, one of the more underrated games of the week, but, uh, but In, yeah, so I guess
0: the orange, like construction helmets for hardware.
1: Yeah, hard we do. Hardware. We need, we need helmet stickers. That, that, that's what uh, we need. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, I guess, uh, I guess I'll start with my first game of the week. And again, uh, I, I have a clean sweep of FCS games uh, just talking about the scenarios across the uh, across the landscape. So for my first game, I'm going to st- I'm going to say in the Ivy League and do a little two do a little two piece combo and talk about two games at once. So this weekend, a four way tie for the Ivy League title is at stake uh, between Penn, Princeton, Harvard and Yale. So going to the first game, we got Penn and Princeton. Princeton last week lost an upset against Yale, a Yale team a Yale team that was kind of rebuilding last year. I think they went five and five last year, if I'm not mistaken. But they struggled last year. So Yale, Yale. If they beat Harvard, they should. They they will clinch a share. I think they've already clinched a share of the Ivy League title at this point. But if they win against against Harvard and Princeton loses, Yale will win it outright for their second outright Ivy League title, uh, in the last four years after not having an outright Ivy League title from 1981 all the way to 2016. Um, Penn and Princeton, both schools are averaging, are allowing less than 20 points per game and 100 rush yards per game. Uh, should be a very physical game. Uh, Harvard and Yale, there's a lot of star power, a lot of great players. Aiden Borgay, who you know ran all over the place in the Yale Bowl when I, when I saw the game in 2019. When I saw the game in 2019, she emphasized the game. Borgay has 1,100 yards in less than nine games. He's a very efficient runner. Averages 6.7 yards per carry about, well, at least six. I forget the decimal. Six yards per carry on the year. Uh and he should be a big, a pick a late round pickup uh next year when he's draft eligible. Let's see, is next year? Either this year, either this year, I think he's a senior this year, but I think he has a grad year available, which will probably transfer. Uh, he could be a late round pickup, honestly, and he should be. On the other hand, Yale has Nolan Grooms, a pretty solid quarterback. Uh, who has 700 non-sack rush yards in nine games. And Yale always has these great quarterbacks that move very well. When I, when, when I was in college, it was Kurt Rollins. Kurt Rollins, who I, who I got to see twice, a great scrambler, who ran for 100 non-sack rush yards against Harvard in 2019. But this game, like these two games, um, you know, how often do you get to see a four-way tie for first place? So definitely root for Penn and root for uh, root for Harvard this weekend if you want to see a four-way tie.
0: We love chaos somewhere. That would be, that would be phenomenal to see. I think we went over some of the reasons so last week when, when uh, I had my Ivy league game and my games of the week to watch of, of why it's so significant to have just as a reminder in case you, or if you didn't hear last week's episode, there is no conference championship game. Like this is it. <laughs> like it's just after the regular season standing. So no, absolutely, man. I'll go ahead and go with my first game of the week to watch. I'm going to go with Boise state at Wyoming. Boise state and Wyoming are uh, first and second place respectively in the mountain West mountain division. And uh, that's the division that obviously is still up for grabs with them being seven and three. One, um, one, Kind of game within the game that I would do want to point out for when Wyoming is on offense and Boise State on defense. Obviously, Boise State is a top 10 passing defense, man. That's something that doesn't really get talked about much, but they they have been elite so far this year. Wyoming's strength, thankfully, is running the ball, right? Led by Titus Swin, the running back. Probably just need to rely on him for the whole game, right? Just keep feeding him the ball, especially with it being at home. Take control take control of the clock like and then yeah hopefully see that but yeah i'm just looking forward to see this is one of the handful of divisions that is like not that is still up for grabs this late in the year because a lot of these conference championship games that we've been talking about it's like it's like the pac 12 and the big 12 where it's like there aren't like the, the you know there aren't divisions to it right so um so that's one reason I'm looking forward to that. So probably could have done a little bit more um or gotten a little bit more information of what will make this a good game, but Hey, you can find out for yourself seven Eastern on CBS on the CBS sports network.
1: Uh, and I mean, Wyoming's gave given a uh, Boise state fits in the past. I mean, 2016, the game that I believe started Josh Allen's trajectory towards stardom and national relevance. Um, Wyoming beat Boise state at home a ranked Boise state squad at home. And uh, ended up winning the Mountain West Mountain Division in 2016 and going to the Mountain West title game. This year is no different. I mean, Wyoming is a type of team that just hangs around because of the offense they run, uh, they got a nice they got a nice pro style inside run game. They they shorten games, and I, I expect this year to be no different. Honestly, um, if this year is a year for Wyoming to beat Boise State again, it I mean, this year is it because Boise State struggled. Like we've seen, we've seen the recipe to beating Boise State. Um, against with UTEP with the UTEP game, Gavin Hardison threw eleven passes, and that was it. And UTEP just ran and ran the ball on Boise State, and they played defense. They won the field position battle. They they got a punt return for a touchdown, and everything. So it's like that's how you win the field position battle. You run the ball against Boise State, and that's how you beat this Boise State team at least this year. But I will say, after that UTEP game, Boise State has recovered very nicely. And, you know, for them to be in the position that they are at to, uh, you know, control their own destiny in the Mountain West. It's a very great it's, it's just a it's just a, a commendation for uh, for Andy Avalos and the job that he's done this year for uh, for Boise State. Uh, so going going on to my next game, we have another another sort of winner take all type game. Well, we have, I guess, the first winner take all game in uh, in FCS I'll talk about. We have Dayton versus Davidson. And over the past two or I guess yeah, past three seasons, we've talked about Davidson a good amount uh, with their great shotgun option offense. And if I'm not mistaken, with 357 yards per game, Dayton may lead all of Division One, FBS and FCS in rushing. So this year is no different, and it's not just one guy. That's the amazing part about this offense. It is not just one guy that is doing all the work, but Dayton has not one, not two, not three, not four, but five guys that have 300 yards rushing or more. So Davidson's doing a great job, but on the other side of the field, Dayton also runs likes to run the ball, and they like to stop the run. Dayton's allowing less than hundred yards per game running the ball, so it's kind of like what happens when you see the immovable force put meet the unst- or what happens when you see the unstoppable force meet the immovable object. We'll find out this Saturday with Dayton versus Davidson. Uh, Dayton has not been to the playoffs since twenty fifteen, and that they've only had one FCS uh, playoff appearance when they lost to Western Illinois in the first round. Davidson, on the other hand, has earned the has earned the bid, the uh the, the bid, the i guess, excuse me, the automatic bid out of the pioneer football league uh in the 2021 spring season and the 2021 fall season. So again, a lot at stake. Uh it's good to see a new a different playoff team get in the mix in the Pioneer Football League, uh, because dynasties are no fun, in my opinion. And this game, the Pioneer Football League does not have a, a national TV deal like ESPN Plus or Flow Sports. So you will have to find this one on.
0: Are we really considering Flow Sports a national
1: TV deal
0: now? I didn't I didn't realize that needed the threshold. I, I was looking at one of these games, and it was on YouTube. And I was like, you know what? That's still better than Flow Sports.
1: It is. And this one, and, and what, what this game's going to be broadcast on is still better than Flow Sports because it will be broadcast on the Davidson Athletic site. So better than Flow Sports still. You don't oh, have to pay for even it. Better. So even better. But, it's yeah, just my, a great game.
0: And it gets, you know, some airplay, right? Just pull it up on your iPad, throw it on the TV and watch that. I forgot
1: to mention, too, uh, Jake Chisholm probably has the most deserving case. Jake Chisholm out of Dayton has probably the most deserving case of any running back in all of FCS for the Walter Payton Award because he leads Dayton in rushing with 160 yards. And receiving 239 yards. I'm not even sure that I'm not even sure if Deuce Vaughn's doing that for Kansas State this year. There's a lot of talk. I, I think Deuce Vaughn like was close to doing that last year, or he did it last year. But Jake Chisholm is pretty much the Deuce Vaughn of Southern Ohio, and it'll be it'll be great to see him in a, in a big game next week. Zach Wilson
0: of the Seven Hills and the the, the Deuce Vaughn of Southern Ohio. That's excellent. Yeah, the Deuce
1: Vaughn of Southern Ohio. Deuce Vaughn just
0: absolutely like
1: decimated
0: Baylor's defense that was tough to watch man they did just excellent i'm gonna go ahead and go with the game that earlier er, earlier on in the year we all thought would be college game day for this week instead of montana montana state i'm gonna go with usc at ucla now you might think this and or i think this at least ucla probably has the weakest home field advantage in the power five outside of miami right Who's not to say USC fans don't just make the drive over to the Rose Bowl and raid that? Like, it's certainly possible. We haven't seen any other school really willing to make the trip to L.A. and who can blame them just to go there, right? Um, But it's certainly something that's already convenient. They can sleep in their own house at the end of the night. Um, UCLA does not rank in the top 150 in any major defensive category. USC, on the other hand, is a top ten total offense, scoring offense, and a top ten, uh, a top ten team in third down conversion rate. So UCLA, UCLA's defense, man, like really has to have their best game of the year to even have a shot. As far as UCLA's, UCLA's offense goes, Omar, I um, I watched a lot of film. I did some deep diving on the analytics. It turns out, in order to win the game. UCLA has to score more points than USC. I don't know if you knew that. Just an interesting little tidbit on there. Um, but in all seriousness, my main concern for UCLA is not even the defense. It's, we, all, we all know at some point the defense is going to break, right? It is, can the UCLA offense put enough points on the board to keep up with USC's offense? If they have to rely on their defense getting multiple stops every, yeah, I don't want to say every quarter, but you get what I mean, like more than five stops, just not going to go UCLA's favor. So I need to see enough from UCLA's offense to compete, which is in the ending up going to have to be a lot, and I need I need USC's I need USC's offense to either make a mistake, right, or, I need UCLA's defense, like I said, to step up and have their best game of the year if they want to have a shot. And, hey, if you're a UCLA fan in the area, tickets can't be that expensive. Like, make the trip. Like, support the home team, man. Like, it it is on the struggle bus over there. It's one of the most beautiful venues in college football. Like, why not go watch it?
1: Yeah, and it seems like forever that, like, both teams are good, are, are very good at the same time. I mean, I'm not saying that either, you know, that either program was bad at, at any period of time, but it's like, it's always either like USC is in the mix for the Pac-12 title, but UCLA is like an also-ran and it's like the other way around. I mean, this year, like, it's kind of like a vintage type thing where it's like, you know, everything is up for stakes and it's one kind of like it was like the, the 60s and 70s and everything. It is kind of awkward that this game's not on Thanksgiving weekend, of course, thanks to Notre Dame-USC, another great rivalry. But, you know, again, like, I expect to see just a great crowd and a great revitalization of this rivalry. Honestly, like, I mean, it's been a while since this rivalry has been this lively, I think with, the, with the programs, I mean, with the state of both programs too, you would like to see both this being like an elimination game for like the playoff, but you know, uh, maybe next year it'll be that way. So again, you know, just the, the battle for LA, just a great, a great matchup for this weekend. Um, I'm going to go with the game. Well, I'm going to go with a, I guess a, a scenario in a conference. Two conferences. Well, the Aeson WAC. So I guess we'll call it one conference where there, were buckle up because there is a lot going on with this conference. So the Aeson WAC procedure, because they merged, because they essentially merged conferences, but but neither plays a full conference schedule, uh, where where all the ASON teams play all the WAC teams and vice versa. Uh, where the conference has instead, or the two conferences have instead resorted to a power ranking that's kind of based on the RPI in college basketball, where, where it factors in margin of victory, opponent rankings, um, opponent strength of schedule, literally a math formula. And where even though at the top of this power ranking, you'll find Eastern Kentucky uh, with a rating of 0.756 and Austin P with a rating of 0.7508. At the moment, neither school is neither school is, uh, excuse me, is eligible for the playoffs because they're not a conference champion in the A-Sun. And in the WAC, so as it stands right now, you'd have the winner of Abilene Christian versus Stephen F. Austin would end up receiving the bid due to due to being the highest ranking conference champion out of either the WAC or the A-Sun. And in that game, we have a great Texas rivalry, a rivalry that's lasting in both the Southland and the Lone Star Conference. Uh, you, you know, you have, Xavier Gibson from Stephen F. Austin, fifty-four catches, nine hundred fifty yards for for uh, for the Lumberjacks this year, and then you have three players with over seven tackles for loss, anchoring a defense that allows twenty-two points per game for Abilene Christian. So pretty much the thing is, Abilene Christian beats Stephen F. Austin, that team wins the whack, and then they wait. It almost feels like the NFL; they have to wait to see if Eastern Kentucky beats 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 Kennesaw State, and Austin P. ends up losing to. Um, I got, I gotta check again because there there is a lot of moving pieces. But if Austin P ends up losing to, geez, my mouth is my mouth is getting dry just like already like talking about like talking through this scenario. But if Austin P ends up losing to, yeah, I guess if if so, let's go. With the, let's, let's start with Sun. So the Asun. So Central Arkansas. They would so the winner of of Abilene Christian Stephen of Austin would be compared to to Central Arkansas and then if Austin P or Eastern Kentucky ends up winning uh then they would have the highest ranking out of the out, out of the power rankings with Eastern Kentucky having the highest one of all but they need to share the ace on title Eastern Kentucky needs to beat needs to beat Kennesaw State, and Central Arkansas needs to lose to Jacksonville State, who's 8-2. and two. So this scenario is very likely. I'm sorry if your head's spinning, but again, a lot of confusing stuff with on Wackpole. And it almost feels like an NFL Sunday, like the final NFL Sunday of the season with all this math and everything being involved.
0: I think we should post a graphic since we don't have Scott Hansen to kind of walk us through this. Or
1: Kornacki Um, was
0: very complicated, but um, but yeah, man, we'll we'll get on that for sure and probably post on that. Kornacki.
1: We need Kornacki from NBC.
0: (laughs) One of the more, um, I remember like this was a couple years ago when when Ben Roethlisberger ended up retiring, and it was it was so funny because he had an early afternoon game that day on on week seventeen, week eighteen, whatever the final week was of that year, and. He was like on FaceTime with Toby Mac watching Sunday night football. That's right. It was Chargers Raiders waiting to see like how it happened and where they both could have tied as they were going into overtime. And then Vegas ended up kicking the field goal. Chargers missed Steelers hopped in. it was just like, so funny. Like you don't know if you played your last professional football game or not off of Las Vegas and Los Angeles playing. You were just waiting for the result of that, which came very close to being left out, right? Because all they needed was it for not to tie, I believe. So, yeah, just an just, uh, interesting little memory of that. And I'm sure these, these players will have a, a similar experience as they're all streaming that. Omar, where can we even watch these games? Is it going to be ESPN Plus, I believe,
1: is the contract? Yeah, so you can find these games on – let me open the tab that I have open – or that I've closed for the, to find the tiebreaker scenario. Uh, <laughs> you can find both these games on ESPN Plus. As for times, so if you if you want to follow this scenario in real time, uh, the first game, Kennesaw State, the first game is going to be Kennesaw State versus Eastern Kentucky. That one will be three o'clock Eastern. Actually, it's interesting because yeah, that one will be at three o'clock Eastern. Then Abilene Christian, Stephen F. Austin will be at three thirty Eastern, and then Austin Peay also has a chance to to win the to win a share of the conference. Austin Peay, well, Austin Peay is already they're already locked in their spot essentially because they play Alabama in the final week of the season, so they just have to, I guess. It's not really a countable game, so I don't think I don't think FBS games, if you lose, are counted against the power ranking. So they're locked into their spot already. But um, gotcha. Eastern Kentucky has the head to head over Austin P. If I'm not mistaken, um, assuming
0: they don't beat Alabama,
1: so. assuming they don't beat they Alabama, give. which which they if but uh, but yeah, uh, Austin P. Does have the head to head over Eastern Kentucky, but. Again, it's all based on the power ranking. It, it it's just weird, and it's just kind of uh, a consequence of conference realignment in the end.
0: Definitely, man.
1: We're seeing a uh, conference realignment.
0: You think it's complicated the FBS level? Move on to the FCS, and there's no one to walk you through it. You have to figure it out yourself. <laughs> um, I'll go ahead and go with my uh, my last game of the week to watch. I'm going to move down to the FCS level. I'm going to go with North Dakota at North Dakota State. Um, Omar, take a picture. NDSU actually isn't in sole first place of the MVFC. Saturday's Saturday's game really should decide second place of who is going going to be second to South Dakota State. If you don't know much about North Dakota State's offense and you're just thinking of like Carson Wentz and Trey Lance and all these offenses that they've had in the past few years, Think again man. In North Dakota State is averaging 252 rushing yards per game, only 10 passing touchdowns on the year, only two wide receivers with more than 15 catches on the year. It, this is this is a run first offense. That said, it is running back by committee. And that committee is larger than the college football playoff committee, man. They don't have a running back with over 100 carries this year. They have eight different players that have scored a rushing touchdown this year. Their quarterback, Cam Miller, also has six rushing touchdowns. Like, he can run it a little bit as well. This North Dakota State offense is is not the one that you saw, like, as a kid. This is a different offense. This is run first. It's fun to watch. North Dakota should definitely give a challenge, but in the Fargo Dome, of course, uh, it's it's hard unless you're unless you're South Dakota State. It's hard to go there and win. So it's going to be fun to watch. You can watch that three thirty Eastern time on ESPN Plus.
1: And again, like this seems like one of the more open uh, FCS playoffs that I can remember. You know, I say this now and watch, um, you know, watch North Dakota State just win it anyway, um, <laughs> but. <laughs> But yeah, like, uh, you know, it's just interesting as well. I mean, that they that they're not in sole position too. and if anything, if any conference is like having a banner year, it's a CAA, which which has a lot of teams in contention. I think uh, the the running numbers like them having six teams, I think, uh, end up making the playoffs. So it, it should be very interesting to see. So staying at the FCS level, we have another winner take all game, another uh another another championship game, de facto championship game. We got Gardner Webb versus NCA and T. And so Gardner Webb has never played in the FCS playoffs, and NCAT, of course, playing in the MIAC. They have not been to the F to the FCS playoffs since at least 2015. I wasn't sure I couldn't find the exact year. But you kind of have a contrast of styles here where Gardner-Webb likes to throw the ball a lot. They have a, a talented quarterback in Bailey Fisher who averages – or who has 2,100, 2,191 yards in nine games for Gardner-Webb for the running Bulldogs, who are fresh off a victory in the North Carolina Barbecue Bowl – in the East-West Barbecue Bowl against Campbell. You know, uh winning that supremacy for North Carolina Barbecue. And then for NCAA and T, you have you have Basual Tootin who has 1,255 yards rushing – And counting for for the Aggies. So again, you know, a playoff spot we determined this winner take all game. Great to see games like this have such a big stage in the final weekend. And that's kind of something that, you know, I guess like college, like I guess FBS does have that. That sort of like playoff game type of scenario. But it's like not directly. It's like it's like kind of like with strings attached. I mean, here in the playoff, like, you have, hey, if you win, you know, you're in the playoffs. You know, you win your conference in the playoffs. If not, you know, have a nice offseason. This game will be at 12 o'clock Eastern on ESPN Plus going to stay. I'm going to stay in the FCS and just talk a little about some playoff scenarios. Got to mention Holy Cross, Holy Cross at 10 and 0. Uh, on their way to a seed, it's kind of funny because if Holy Cross ends up losing to Georgetown, especially if they lose to Georgetown as two and eight, then they're likely out of a seed. Uh, but again, they they play Georgetown, who's two and eight. They're on the road against Georgetown at Cooper Field. Um, Matthew Sluka is the story. Matthew Sluka and Jalen Coker. Jalen Coker has ten touchdown catches and forty two pass on uh, forty two receptions. Sluka has two thousand passers, twenty two touchdowns. 841 rushing yards and eight touchdowns. If Suka crosses a thousand yards, I got to think he's going to be a finalist for the Walter Payton award for the Walter Payton trophy. If not helping his campaign for next year, Uh, it's been just a joy to see Matthew Suka just, you know, I mean, do his thing the past two and a half years out there on the seven Hills. So that is another scenario to watch as for great rivalry games. You have, Lafayette versus Lehigh the most played rivalry game in college football um, no matter how no matter how poorly teams do each year in a year out this is a game to watch you know you need to you need to w- put at least a screen on Lafayette Lehigh uh, there's gonna be a lot going on but put a screen on it even though both both teams have two wins out in Florida for the Florida Classic out there at the Citrus Bowl Stadium if it's even called that. Out in Orlando, you have Florida A&M fighting for an at-large playoff spot against Bethune-Cookman. Now, I don't think Florida A&M will get that playoff spot because of how, I guess, how uncompetitive they were against Jackson State, losing 59-3 to in the Orange Blossom Classic to begin the year. But again, that is that is something that they're they're fighting for. They have even talked to um, the NCAA about the possibility of hosting a playoff game, where the NCAA does site visits to campuses to see if they're suitable for hosting playoff games. So that's something to keep in mind as well. They're still alive, but I think it's a long shot uh, at even. I mean, just because of that loss to Jackson State, they play Bethune Cookman squad that's two and eight and had a tough go over this year. Um, and should be it's always it's always a party out there in Orlando. If you need if you need a warm up for the Bayou Classic then the Florida classic on ESPN plus at two thirty Eastern is the way to go. You know, get that, get that, uh, get your cheese. It's out because now the, uh, yeah. the citrus bowls, now the, the cheese citrus bowl, get your cheese, it's out and some orange juice and watch the Florida classic. But, um, you know what? That I'm excited. Just doesn't,
0: that just doesn't seem right. Omar, oddly enough,
1: it, it does not seem right at all. Um, but you know, this is, this is how it is. I mean, I'm, I'll, I'll have fun with it, you know? Um, I mean, we, we all will, you know, anytime there's there's some food, but, uh, before we go, Jackson, I, I forgot to briefly uh briefly mention that our our discussion on the Heisman race. Um, I guess who do you have? I, I guess is your top three, really quick. Um, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely,
0: man. Um, it's uh, it's not even like difficult to say. It's just that I think a lot of it depends on like. Michigan, Ohio State. It depends on what we see. We know we're getting like Georgia and LSU, but like how what's going to be the feeling going into SEC, the SEC championship of like Tennessee's relevance and all that. Right. So I think a lot is riding on that. C.J. Stroud, um, Hendon Hooker, Drake May, like Blake Corham tend to be like at least like the betting favorites, which is my favorite thing to look at. I think Stetson Bennett you could throw in there um, as well, although it doesn't really seem like Georgia's winning many games because of, of Stetson Bennett. Brock Bowers really, honestly, man, like if there's going to be a a, a non-quarterback that wins it, honestly, it should be him, although Chase Brown is, is a close second. So, yeah. Um, Deuce Vaughn I've even seen like on that list like it it is wide open right now I think CJ Stroud is the favorite just because Ohio State is is playing at a, a level above Ohio State even what we're used to but I don't know man honestly too much riding on these pat on these last two weeks that I really like I don't I don't know man it, it's still wide up in there so what do you think
1: Yeah, I agree um and I'll, I'll follow up your um your list with a question if i mentioned mine so for me at the top i have a slash between cj stroud and blake Coram. i really think the winner of that game will end up going 13 and 0 because um you know the big 10 west is uh is something you know to say the least it, it's very it, it's very intriguing to say the least end up like, it'll end up probably like last year where we have an overmatched big 10 west team playing either michigan or Ohio state in that case last year was michigan iowa where it's just like not even a game from the jump uh, so I really have at the, at the top Blake Corham or, or C.J. Stroud, whoever wins that game, um, you know, or if, if C.J. Stroud ends up not looking very good against Ohio State and the defense performs well, then I, I guess I guess I, I guess Blake Corham winning it all. Number two, I still have Hendon Hooker um, as, as my number two guy, because, again, he's done wonders this year for, uh, for Tennessee, done an absolutely great job. Uh, for for that for that program and number three I have Caleb Williams because Caleb Williams uh, if you look at if you look at all the losses for our I guess yeah the one loss for USC it really it I mean none of them have really been Caleb Williams fault per se because the defense kind of faltered against Utah and on the year Caleb Williams is quietly having a great year I mean it shouldn't be quietly but it's quietly because he's on the west coast playing for USC they don't get those big noon kickoff spots but he's got 31 touchdowns and two picks so just to recap, I have Blake Corum slash CJ Stroud, got Henning Hooker, and then I got Caleb Williams for my top three. But you know, it's kind of funny. Like, why why aren't either of us mentioning mentioning Stetson Bennett? You know, I mean, Stetson Bennett arguably had a Heisman moment with the with the call me maybe, the call me maybe touchdown. Um, you know, <laughs> so but I, I just got to ask you because you watch the SEC way more than I do. Like like why why aren't we mentioning Stetson Bennett's name in the Heisman race more? Because I don't think I don't think Georgia is winning because of Stetson Bennett. That's my opinion.
0: I could be wrong. I I don't think so. I think you put in a lot of quarterbacks in there and and they're winning a good bit. I don't think it's gonna be because I think it's because of that defense. I think it's because of their their run game, although their wide receivers really have not been bad either. So I I just don't think like Stetson Bennett is, like I said, the reason that they're winning if you're going to win the Heisman, you need to be the reason your team is winning. Right. Or at least a very significant part of it. So that's my opinion, at least, but.
1: Yeah. So my thing with Stetson Bennett, I, I think he's definitely worthy. I think I would have him at four, frankly, because you look at his stats, he's got 2,895 yards. That's 13th in the country. You know? Yeah. Sure. George is not winning because of Stetson Bennett, but it's like, I mean, you can make the case that they, that they wouldn't be winning without him, you know? he's got it's just like you know it's just his touchdown numbers are low and i feel like that hurts him because of course georgia likes to run the ball but i mean i mean i'm surprised to see 13th in the country in passing yards are are you surprised yeah i would i would say i'm surprised yeah yeah I, i would that's fair i mean that's already more than he had last season like yeah that's already more than he's had last season and of course again like i mentioned the touchdowns last year he had 29 touchdowns and he was not in the heisman discussion this year he's got 14 passing touchdowns and again like he's kind of in the discussion he's kind of not he's got seven touchdowns on the ground though this year you know but i don't know how much that does because like a lot of us don't view stetson bennett as a dual threat quarterback you know so um again yeah it's 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 interesting it's interesting you know i mean Uh, Maybe he gets invited to New York, but I I don't see him winning it like you either because that perception, honestly, because I share that perception too, honestly.
0: Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Like I said, so much can happen in these last two weeks. Like, there's, there's still a lot. I think it's even more like less than even the results of the games. It's more like just the feeling surrounding the committee, the feeling like going into into conference championship week because that is when the voting ends right after the conference championship. So, that's my opinion. But yeah, we'll
1: see, man. I'm excited for uh, for another great week. I am too. And until next time, everyone. Peace, love, and soul.